want to talk today about sometimes I am full of envy. In the Christian Church, there's a standard list of deadly sins. Uh, the list was first compiled by Pope Gregory the first around the year 600, and they include lust, gluttony, greed, sloth, or excessive laziness, wrath, pride, and envy. And today I want to look at the last one of those seven deadly sins, the envy. Remembering now that the Ten Commandments were given at Mount Sinai around 1450 BC, so the Ten Commandments are still the oldest foundational moral commandments that Christians hold to. However, the seven deadly sins are biblical, but nowhere do they appear as a list in the Bible. There is a list of seven deadly sins in the Bible, but they're found in Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 to 19, and there it states, These six things the Lord hates, yes, seven are an abomination to him, and the seven that are listed in Proverbs chapter 6 are a proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift in running to evil, a false witness who speaks lies, and one who sows discourse among brethren. The Bible also lists other sins we need to be on our guard about, and I want you to look this one up in Galatians 5, verses 19 to 21. Galatians 5, verses 19 to 21. Paul writes, Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, there it is again, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So Pope Gregory, being as busy as he seemed to be, also produced a list of the seven virtues in the year 600, based on a poem written by a believer named Aurorius Clemens Prudentis, written in the early 400s. Each one of these seven virtues is a cure for the seven deadly sins. Kindness cures envy. Temperance cures gluttony. Charity cures greed. Chastity, or self-control, cures lust. Humility cures pride. Diligence, or zeal, cures slothfulness. Patience cures wrath. Now, those three lists are posted in more detail as separate documents on www.ralphhowministries.com under the names Seven Deadly Sins and Seven Virtues and The Seven Deadly Sins Explained. And there's lots more material there than we have gone through here, and also it includes a lot of the scripture references for uh, the Pope's Seven Deadly Sins. I want to look at Envy. At one time or another, all of us want what others have that we don't. That's called envy. We compare where we stand in the world with where we see others. That's envy. We see what others look like and wish we could be that handsome or that beautiful. And again, that's envy. The comparison can be on 
a number of levels. Physical appearance, financial wealth, family, friendships, house, car, boat, country home. Envy comes from the old French word envide, which in turn originated in the Latin word invidia, which means to look upon with malice or resentment. Other words that come close to the word envy include discontentment, woo, dissatisfaction, ouch, covetousness, sometimes, and jealousy, I hope not. So my definitions, definition of envy, is when you resent God's goodness in other people's lives and ignore God's goodness in your own life. Harold Coffin says that envy is the art of counting the other fellow's blessings instead of your own. It's when you think, they got it and I want it. They don't even deserve it. They shouldn't have it in the first place. Now, a comment about today's society. Our culture is a consumer culture, and it thrives on envy. Because we want the latest edition of your favorite phone. A new car with leather interior that can park itself. You know, the one with all the new bells and whistles. A new house and a better neighborhood. An exotic vacation destiny away from the deep freeze in winter. If we took every ad and commercial seriously, we'd never have one moment of satisfaction in our lives. We would always have envy. We would never enjoy what we have because we'd always be wanting what someone else has or the advertising tells us that we should have. If we're going to experience a clean, spiritual way of living, then like the Apostle Paul, we must learn to be content in all things. We must learn to recognize envy in all of its forms and have the antidote for its deadly poison close at hand. And envy takes on a variety of forms. We usually connect it to materialism, you know, money, possessions, boys, toys, it can be wanting a better job with higher pay like the other guy, a new car with all the bells and whistles, technology, the newest, biggest, brightest, clearest TV. And it could be an appearance envy, size, shape, your hair, your complexion. It can be a relational envy, someone who always seems to have friends who encourage and build them up and do fun things together. You want to know what I envy? People who have weekends off especially long weekends. Did you know that every long weekend has a Sunday in the middle of it? People whose jobs start at 8 and end at 5 o'clock is another thing I envy. So how about you? What do you envy the most? Have you ever wished you had something or someone that you saw others enjoying? You know, we don't think that it's really that big a deal when we want a little bit of something we don't have. I mean, everyone does it. So what's the big deal? The big deal is that allowing envy to enter into your heart is like planting nuclear waste in your flower bed. If you don't think envy is a serious problem, let's just consider what Scripture has to say about it. I'm reading from James chapter 3, and I'm going to read verses 14 to 16. James chapter 3 Verses 14 to 16, the New Living Translation. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. 
Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. So this issue of being dissatisfied with what you have instead of and wanting what others have isn't a big deal. Really? Every evil practice, that's what envy leads you to. Every evil practice. That sounds like a profoundly big deal to me. And we can find plenty of examples of envy throughout the Bible. In Genesis chapter 4, Cain envied his brother Abel. God accepted Abel's offering, but he didn't accept Cain's. As a result of his envy, Cain's resentment festered into a poison possessing his heart and driving him to murder his brother. Genesis chapter 30, Rachel envied her sister Leah because Leah could bear children and she couldn't. Then later in the same chapter, they switched places and it was Leah who envied Rachel. Genesis chapter 37, Joseph's brothers envied him because Joseph was his father's favorite and he kept having dreams and visions in which his brothers were bowing down to him. But instead of bowing, they decided it sounded like a better idea to beat him up, throw him in a pit, and sell him into slavery. 1 Samuel 18, we are told that King Saul envied David, the shepherd boy turned warrior. In fact, the people made up a song with a not-so-sweet refrain about how Saul had slain his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. Saul's jealousy from that envy eventually drove him crazy, literally, and he tried to pin David to the wall with his spear, twice. In Mark chapter 15, we find that Jesus himself was the subject of envy. Why was it he was handed over to a Roman authority to be crucified? Because the chief priests envied him, the Bible says. Jealousy, rage, bitterness, murder, heart-wrenching grief, all emerging from the toxic power of envy. Consider this. In Isaiah 14, Lucifer, you know, the devil, is said to have envied God, and consequently he rebelled and was cast out of heaven. So we would do well to remember that envy is clearly the spark that ignited evil in our hearts. It apparently signals, I'm available to demons searching for a cheap date. Envy is as volatile as nitroglycerin, and you cannot carry it inside you without evil exploding. So Proverbs chapter 14 Verse 30 tells us that a heart at peace gives life to the body, but evil envy rots the bones. Socrates the philosopher elaborated on this truth when he wrote, Envy is the daughter of pride, the author of murder and revenge, the perpetual tormentor of virtue. Envy is the filthy slime of the soul, a venom a poison which consumes the flesh and dries up the bones. It rots like cancer from the inside. So now we know it's earthly, unspiritual, and demonic to envy. So what can we do about it? Well, the first thing is actually something that we can start not doing. 
Paul, in his letter to the Corinthians, writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12, we do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves. When they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are not wise. Paul is saying that envy begins with comparison. So stop comparing. So what do you do about envy? The very first thing you do is not to do something. You stop comparing. And it is so easy, almost natural, to compare what we have or don't have with those around us. And we all, at one time or another, compare what we have with what others have. No one is immune. In fact, Jesus' disciples were often comparing themselves with one another. You know, who is the most important? Who gets to sit next to Jesus? Who's the greatest? In John chapter 21, Jesus has just restored Peter's position to him, commissioning him to take care of my sheep, he said. And he prophesies about the kind of death Peter will die. And Peter asks, what about John? What's going to happen to him? Jesus answers, what is that to you? Essentially, Jesus was saying, mind your own business. Stop comparing. Peter, that is simply not your business. Stop comparing. When we look at other people comparatively or competitively, we are not seeing them as our brothers and sisters. We are not loving them more than we love ourselves. We are definitely not seeing them as God sees them. Galatians 6, verses 4 and 5. Each one should test their own actions. Then they, then they can take pride in themselves alone, without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry his own load. So that is what we are not to do. We need to guard against comparing ourselves with others as much as possible. Train yourself not to use better than or worse than when thinking and talking about other people. When we see God's goodness in the lives of others, we shouldn't allow ourselves to feel resentful or envious. If that is what we should not do, what is it that we are to do? Well, when we see God's goodness in the lives of others, we should feel joy and we should celebrate with them. Romans 12:15 teaches us that we should rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. When someone else gets something we were hoping for, you should rejoice with them. I think one of the best examples of this in Scripture is between Saul's son Jonathan and his friend David. Earlier I talked about King Saul envying David. Well, that same king had a son, Jonathan, and David and Jonathan were best friends. By all earthly rights, Jonathan should have been the heir to his father's throne. And so for most of Jonathan's youth, he probably fully expected, maybe even dreamed about, how one day he would become king. And of course, if you know the story, God had other plans. Saul, the king, sinned, and God chose David to replace Saul as Israel's king, not Jonathan. Most of us, if we were in Jonathan's position, would be angry, not Jonathan. Even when Saul was crazy with jealous rage, hunting David down to kill him, Jonathan took David's side. 
In fact, look what Jonathan said to David. 1 Samuel chapter 23, verse 17. Don't be afraid, he said. My father Saul will not lay a hand on you. You will be king over Israel, and I will be second to you. He was telling David, I'll serve you. I've got your back. I rejoice with you in your success. You've got what really was mine and what I wanted. But God had something else planned. More power to you, man, and I celebrate with you. So Jonathan was rejoicing with those who rejoice. That's how you overcome envy. Instead of resenting the blessing God was giving to David, he celebrated with David. Ecclesiastes chapter 6 verse 9 says, Better what the eye sees than the roving of the appetite. This too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Let me read it to you again. Better what the eye sees than the roving of the appetite. This too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. This is telling us that God has put blessings right in front of us, and yet it is easy to let our appetites roam and then we miss the blessings we already have by looking at the blessings other people have. And when you let your eyes wander looking for something else, you might as well be chasing the wind. It's better to enjoy what God has given you than to look around to see whose grass is greener. It is easy to always look for more and not be content with what you have. Years ago, one of my mentors taught me content or discontent which tent do you live in? Unless you have one of everything on the planet, then there's always somebody who has something you don't. Theirs may be newer, theirs may be bigger, theirs may be shinier. But if you notice that, it means you are making comparisons, which we saw earlier is not a good thing. So what about what God has already given you? Are you grateful for the things you do have? I used to have a really bad habit that I now believe is insulting to God. I still have to work not to do it every day. I would qualify my thankfulness with a big but. If someone said, I really like your flower gardens, I would say, thank you, but it's not as nice as I'd hoped it would be. If someone said, I really like your house, then I said something like, yep, it's great, we love it, but... We really need to redo the kitchen. As I constantly did this, God's Spirit convicted me that I needed to get rid of the big butts. I'm thankful for the house that God has provided for us, period. Thank you for the compliment regarding the garden, period. I recommend that you do the same. Get rid of your big butts. Be thankful. No more butts. In other words, embrace God's goodness to you. 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 16 to 18. 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 16 to 18. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So if you're in Christ Jesus, if you're born again, there's your answer. Be thankful, be satisfied, be content in all circumstances. And one way to appreciate all that we have is to spend time with people who are truly grateful for and joyful about all that they have. And if it is less than we have, as is the case of most of my friends overseas, it can be very humbling. 
A pastor friend of mine writes, When I first became a pastor, there was a six-year-old girl in our church who was dying. We prayed and we prayed and we prayed for her, but she continued to get worse. Near the end, I went to visit this precious little girl in the hospital. Her treatments had taken her hair, her color, and the last of her strength. I did the pastor thing, making small talk with her and her parents, trying to smile a lot and lift their spirits, and praying with them. But I felt so helpless. Finally, I said, Sweetheart, what do you want? Anything, you name it. If there's anything at all I can do for you or get for you, please just name it, and it's yours. For a moment, she just locked eyes with me and didn't say anything, like she was deep in thought. As I waited for her answer, I couldn't help thinking of all the things she might have been dreaming about in the past weeks. You know, playing with other kids, going to a movie with her friends, going home, just taking a walk outside. This tiny six-year-old girl drew a deep breath and sighed. And then she said, well, I've got my mummy and daddy here. I've got my two favorite sticker books. I've got my dolly. And I've got Jesus in my heart. What else could a little kid want? Just a few weeks later, I did that little girl's funeral. But that moment at the hospital will resonate with me as long as I live. I don't know how your story goes, but here's mine. I get to serve the greatest God, the creator and builder of the universe. I get to do it full time. I get to love and share his truth with the greatest people around the world. And that is my calling, something God wants me to do. I get to work with the Holy Spirit, expanding the kingdom into spiritual dark places on the planet. I get to see people come to know the Lord Jesus Christ and become born again. I get to disciple, train, equip, mentor young apostles and prophets in 17 nations of the world, with new doors opening weekly should I ever choose to enter them. I have several very good friends who are an amazing support and encouragement to me. I've got Jesus Christ the living Son of the Almighty God dwelling inside me. And I know that when I die, I will instantly be in heaven and be looking at Jesus face to face. I mean, what more could any guy want? I hope you can celebrate God's goodness in the lives of others and that you can defeat envy in all of its form by embracing God's goodness to you because Jesus is truly enough for all of our heart's desires.